Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday. You know what that means. I got my man, Josh, Cardboard Chronicles, Card Ladder, on the damn pod today talking about a big boy sale he just had. He let go of his 2003 exquisite collection, LeBron James, number 78, Rookie Patch Auto, BGS 8. He sold it for a pretty penny. We talk about it, get into the process, the mindset, why he did it, and what he's looking to do with that those funds. If you like what I'm doing over here, hit the subscribe button. Tell a damn friend that you're enjoying stacking slabs, would you? Let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I'm excited to bring Josh from the Card Ladder team. You know him on Instagram at Cardboard Chronicles. Obviously, he's got a YouTube channel as well. He's been on the show several times. Um, this week, um, if you listen to my Wednesday episode, I talked about finance hobby finance and just how I'm kind of the process of I'm managing my funds and talk a little bit about sales in that conversation. I know Josh had a big sale come through. Uh, oh, I think it was about a month ago almost at this point, um, which was pretty significant. I would say a significant sale um, in the hobby. Josh sold his 2003 exquisite collection, LeBron James, rookie patch, auto BGS eight, Kind of a big card, you you might say. And why, why I wanted to have Josh back on, obviously talk about the sale, talk about the process he went through, selling it to uh, another known hobby entity. And I figured just going through and digging in on J- Josh's mentality might be good for everybody. But without further ado, Josh, welcome. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. Uh, doing good, man. Excited to be on. This is uh, I love coming on the show. So if you invited me every week, I'd probably I'd probably do it. <laughs> I'm I'm sure there's always something to talk about. There's uh, when I listen to, which I haven't yet. I'm usually religious, um, whether I watch it live or listen to it on the podcast. Um, I'm usually religious on the crossover, and I haven't caught the episode this week. But it seems like every crossover, there's like something you'll dig into or Chris will dig into. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I want to talk about that a little more with them. So um, yes, it's always good to have you guys on and there's always a lot to chop up. Yeah. Two hours of crossover. Like eventually we say something smart. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Um, So let's, let's dig into, I would say besides buying Chris Paul cards and working on card ladder, um, uh, how I guess before we get into the sale, how how's your hobby experience been? You know, over the last you know month or so, I feel like in following you know the card ladder team and what you're you're up to, and then your own personal collecting. There's just been a lot going on, but just you know over the last you know month or so, how how's your post sale? How has your hobby experience been so far? It's been good. Um, for someone that's not a mega multimillionaire. I've just had to kind of change course quite a bit. Like I, you know, I, I primarily collect LeBron and I've gotten to a point in my collecting career with LeBron where, you know, the stuff that I'm after at this point, I just, I just like can't afford it. It's just the reality of it. So I have to kind of change it up a little bit. And so, you know, switching over to Chris Paul's has helped kind of keep me going in the hobby, doing like the football receivers, which I'm still doing is, is a lot of fun as well. I don't know if you had like a more direct question about the sale, but one of the main reasons I sold the LeBron was, I mean, primarily to 
to diversify a little bit of my net worth. You know, I just feel like I have too much money in cards to, to keep me comfortable and the cards are growing up so much that, you know, at some point I need to take some risk off the table and I, I was able to do that. But the other reason is that I could sell one card and fund like two years of player collecting, basically more than that. Like I could basically like take that money and collect for the next 10 years of other players and have no problem, you know, keeping going, keeping the mail days coming in, keeping it fueled. So that was a big incentive as well. Like, you know, the LeBron is one card. It's a great card. And I've talked about consolidating all the time, but you know, one card to be worth that much in, in, you know, in the grand scheme of like what I own and my net worth and stuff, it just felt like it was too much. Like I just couldn't hold it anymore. And so, so yeah, that, that's that. Yeah. I definitely want to dig into kind of the post sale and we'll get into the sale itself, but maybe we walk back to, uh, there's, so one of the times you were on the show, you talked about the experience of going through and like making the purchase. And I think uh, maybe Nat Turner was the underbidder on the card and you acquired this card. Obviously I'm assuming at the time of purchase, it wasn't cheap and you spent a lot of your own personal funds in order to obtain this card. So maybe like talk through like initially when you bought the card, like obviously you're a LeBron guy. This is LeBron's most significant arguably most significant card, maybe the most significant basketball card of all time, people would say. What was, when you bought the card, were you thinking, okay, I'm going to buy this card and hold on to it for the long term. I'm going to buy this card because I just believe in its future and eventually I'm going to get out of it. Like, talk to me a little bit about the process that went into making the purchase and like what your kind of in game or goal was with it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'd spent, you know, from like 2016 up until that purchase in December, 2019, you know, amassing quite a bit of cards in like the, you know, 1000 to $5,000 range. You know, my day job has allowed me to kind of buy stuff in that range pretty frequently and be able to build it up. And then over the years, I just got to a point where those cards turned into 20, $30,000 cards in some instances, you know, more. And so it's like, and I had a lot of it. So I just kind of looked at my collection and thought maybe I could go after LeBron RPA, which is kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a status symbol, honestly, like at this point for the LeBron collectors, it's like, oh, do you have an RPA at a 99, you know, or do you have everything else kind of thing? And so I just, you know, it was a goal of mine to get one. And I had the cards in my collection to, to get one, you know, the, the math made sense. I was able to not have to sell everything I have and sort of consolidate a, a, a decent chunk of it into that card. And I never really buy a card thinking like, I'm going to flip this or I'm going to sell it for a lot more in the future. I, you know, I obviously never thought it would go from what I bought to what I sold it for in this short amount of time. So I, I didn't ever see myself like selling it, you know, two years later, which is what happened. It just sort of happened that way. And I never really think that far ahead when I'm buying a card. It's usually like, I want this card. I think it makes sense in my collection. I believe in it long-term. And at that time, back in 2019, like a lot of this... Uh, newcomers were coming in and, and talking about base cards and sort of like the lower tier cards were getting a lot of the love. And it, in my opinion, then it made a lot of sense to consolidate. I just felt like that stuff was outpacing the really high end stuff. And the collectors that were coming in didn't understand the difference in value between that kind of stuff and the really high end. So I had focused on going after the high end. And now I feel like we're in the reverse situation where like everyone's just all gung ho about autographs and LeBron and Jordan and, you know, the goats and stuff like this. So uh, that card specifically has really caught up and kind of blown other stuff out of the water. And it's like, all right, well now I got to change. So it's always just kind of this constant adaption to what's going on at the moment. 
Totally. And I think timing is such an important thing to take note of. And you saw an opportunity. I've, and you know, we just saw the golden sale for the Jersey number LeBron 8.5 sell for what two point, what was it, three million or something um this weekend. And so you look at that sale and granted, you know, it's a you know half a grade higher than yours and it's a jersey number, but you look at that the sale price of that card and you look at when you bought yours, like how do you even process that? Like what goes on in your sale or in your head when you look at those two sales because they're just so dramatically different. Like what's your mindset there? Yeah. I honestly think I thought the jersey number would go a little bit higher, to be completely honest. I and like the 2.4 is a spectacular sale. It's a ton of money. Um, I thought it would go a little bit higher and it didn't. So, you know, looking at the math and like multipliers and using card letter data and stuff, I feel like I I did pretty well. Uh, you know, the thing about buying cards at that range, you don't really you don't really squabble over like a hundred grand. I know that sounds insane. You don't really squabble over like a percentage, like ten percent of the of the price. You're really thinking about like I want to get into this card, and this is kind of one of my few chances I have to get in something this high end. So, you know, this is the market price. You know, we may be off by five, ten percent here and there, but if I if you believe in it, you go get it. And so that's when I was bidding on this in December 2019, the underbidder I think was Nat. You know, he says it was him. But like when he bid and then I had to bid again, like that little tiny micro decision cost me 40 grand, which was a, a greater percentage than what we're talking about in the variance of today's sale. So uh like, you know, you just kind of gotta go get it. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the the status thing, and I think. Um, that's like maybe a topic not a lot of people talk about, but just like obviously, like with a card that's is scarce and is significant as the LeBron RPA, there is a certain like maybe community vibe around that card, mm-hmm. and every sale matters, right? You're glued to every sale, and you know who's got one, or you know who just picked one up. Like, what was that experience like for you? Because you 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 made mention of it, so I felt like a part of your decision-making to acquire it originally was to be in the mix and be a part of that. Talk about like maybe the importance of that with that card and just maybe other people as they're going and searching grails that there's 10, 20 copies, like what that might do to kind of enhance your overall kind of collecting itch. I've talked about on crossover quite a bit with Chris. He, he differs on this uh, slightly for me, but I've always said like when you're going after a player collection, I, I really tend to focus on the stuff that has a lot of historical significance, stuff that like, you know, a lot of other people want to collect. That's why I don't really like one of ones because like only one person can own it. And it's not really a status symbol. It's just like, okay, you're the only one that owns it. If a lot of people are chasing something and, and a select few can have it, I feel like there's more, you know, it's like limited release watches or handbags or, and stuff like that. Like people want to be in this like elite group of people that own this rare item. And the the 99 RPA is is enough where, you know, 99 people can own this card. That's not, that's quite a few compared to some other like gold prism out of 10 and one-on-ones and stuff. So like, it's not impossible to attain, um, but the status of it and the historical significance, you know, the 2003 exquisite, those things greatly outweigh some of these other factors of rarity. And so it puts you in a place where you can, you can attain it and it's not incredibly rare, but because it's so, you know, significant and everyone's talking about it, it is hard to attain. So it's kind of like this pretty interesting battle you have internally of like, you know, do I really want to spend the finances to get it? Because I feel like I should be a part of this elite group, you know, et cetera. And um, one of the main reasons I did sell it 
is that I I own also the 2003 limited logos LeBron. And if you just like line those two cards up side by side, given like that the patch that an auto that I have on the, the limited logos is, is a lot better. You know, you asked a bunch of random people that didn't know anything about the cards, didn't know about the historical segments, they would all pick the limited logos, right? It's like, oh, look at that. The jersey's way cooler. It's a lower number. It's game use. Like it's got all these things. But you and I know that the price of it is like, you know, a third or a quarter or whatever, for whatever reason, right? Because of the significance of the 99 of the original RPA. And so like as a collector, when it got to this, this much money, at that point, the balance tipped away from like, you know, having the historical significance and being a part of this, this club and like, okay, now it's too much money. And now I got to focus back on the collector side. You know, it's like this constantly swinging pendulum. Uh, maybe dig into that a little bit, because I think uh, there's a lot of people that talk about, obviously you love the card. Like you, I'm sure there's, there are many piece parts of you that like hate to see it go, but like the, what you ended up accumulating from the sale outweighed the value of having that card in your collection. And I think that's an interesting topic that a lot of people go through. Like I go through it regularly when you ha- own a card and you bought it for one price and then, you know, two years later, it's three X or four X that, and you look at the car and you're like, you know what, like this fits in my collection, but like what the value of this right now. And the fact that I know I can just go sell it and get that outweighs having that in my collection. Like maybe talk a little bit more about that with this card or just any other cards that you've sold. I think we're all collectors, but at, at some point we reach right. this tipping point where it's like, all right, it's time to sell. Yeah. I mean, you've got this like kind of ranking or a list of things that are important to you in your life. Uh, you know, there's a, a number of things we could list off and, you know, being a collector and, and owning some of these cards is pretty high up on that list, but also up on that list for me is uh, financial freedom, you know, being able to work any job that I, that I want to work based on my own current financial situation, like the hours that I work, the, the company I decide to work for, if I've got extra money and I don't have to take a job I don't want, or, you know, the, future of my family and kids and like these, all, all these things get ranked. Right. And it's like, do I want to own, I think I I have about like 20 to 25, you know, what I would consider like high-end cards that are in my collection that are like graded and, you know, organized in my, in my collection. And so it's like, would I rather have 25 high-end cards, uh, and have a mortgage and have all my net worth and cards, or would I rather have 24 and like check off like 12 other boxes and have all that stuff situated. I can pay off my house. I can have no monthly expenses. I can be completely financial, financially free for the next 10 years. Like those are the decisions that come up and it's like, all right, well, time to sell. Cause this is like, you know, I can check 12 boxes with going from 25 to 24 cards. And that's how, that's kind of how I approach my collection is like, I look at all the cards, try to take the value out of them. And it's like, which ones do I actually, you know, enjoy owning? Which ones do I love? And if I had to rank that RPA to 99, it would probably be like, I don't know, like 10th or 11th. If I just sort of like laid them all out and was like, which ones do I enjoy the most? Am I looking at that's It was like 10th or 11th. And it's like, you know, if I can sell my 10th favorite looking card for, for all those other things I talked about, it just seems like you got to do it. And the situation of, you know, people might say, well, okay, well, why did, why did the guy who bought it from you spend so much? He's in a different situation than me. He has other cards that are worth way more. Probably he's got, you know, this is just one of his cards. So he's in a much different spot. So you can never really question the, you know, the buyer and or the seller on either end. You kind of have to look at them individually. The, the deals always have their own pieces going on. And so, yeah, that's kind of an interesting little nugget as well. Yeah. And I think uh, you brought it up. I was going to 
bring it out is the, the fact that it's everybody's situation financially is unique and some people you know don't have the responsibilities of you know paying a mortgage supporting a family um everyone it just varies from from collector to collector and so i i would imagine like just through your the sale and the news getting out you probably got you know a ton of congratulations and you probably also got like some people saying like why would you sell this now i can't believe you sell, sold this now like how did you like maybe explain the feedback that came in because it was a big story and like um were you surprised by like the reaction of the hobby was it mostly positive like maybe talk a little bit about that it was probably like 95% like congrats positive you know at at a certain level it's just like if someone's selling a card for that much you just sort of like you just sort of assume they're doing it for themselves and their own situation you don't really question it i definitely got about 5% of like you know what are you doing? This is going to double in price over the next five years. This is a terrible decision. You're going to have to pay taxes, you idiot. I got some of that for sure. And uh, it very it, it, it might double, you know, it might double in the next year. I might've made a huge mistake. It might triple, you know, et cetera. Um, but I really don't, I don't think about it in those terms of the risk reward of it is like, I think cards have gone up so drastically that me taking one card off the table and reducing my risk you know, tenfold is a pretty easy decision to make for me. And also if the card does double or triple, I've got other LeBron stuff to sort of hedge against it. So it's really less about what I think this individual card is going to do. It's more about like setting myself up across my entire collection and my entire financial future. It's not just like, I'm not going to hold all my money in LeBron. Right. So this is me like reducing some of that percentage I have in LeBron. I, I felt like it was too high. I love it. And then, so I want to talk about the other side of the sale and like what life is like now, but definitely want to talk about the sale. I get the setting yourself up for financial freedom and and this is a massive step forward and you, you being able to get to where you want to be. I think first part is like, was there a, like, was, what was the compelling event for the time frame? Like for you to be like, all right, now is the time. Was it the interest you got or was it just the market or like maybe talk about like why'd you sell it when you sold it every collector is going to understand this and it's kind of silly but i saw so many of them sell in such a short amount of time not that i was nervous that the price was going to go down because so many were coming out it was more like man i'm tired of seeing this card come up for (laughs) sale like does everyone own this and i'm not that special that was part of it i honestly made the decision at national like i was around you and a bunch of other guys. And I had the card with me, actually. That was kind of a secret. You know, I didn't really want to flash that around. I think I showed it to like Lefko and maybe like one other person. And I just kind of wanted to bring it to see like how I felt about it, you know, in, in that setting. And I just like, you know, I don't, I'm not like in love with this card, uh, you know, as much as I should be where the value is at. And I just keep seeing them come up for sale. And so, um, and then I just sort of like looked at my, my financial situation and was like, you know what, I think this is a good time. So I've actually settled in on selling it since national the buyer reached out to me just like randomly i was on vacation i was like i was on a at a a airbnb in in san diego and just sitting there i got a text and he was like yeah hey do you want to sell that and he was like kind of half joking thinking i'd just be like you know go go fuck off but i was like (laughs) uh sure you know i think we had a deal within like a couple hours it was it got pretty serious pretty fast and it was like you know he had the money i had the card and i was i wanted to sell it anyways and so we just kind of made it happen pretty quick. It had since had come out when he posted it, but NC Sports Cards was the buyer who 
I think anybody who's been at shows, who follows anybody on social media knows him from just the volume, just he has a presence. And so in the hobby, like how much more comfortable did that make you knowing that you probably had, I don't know what your personal relationship was, if there was any, but like you knowing kind of his brand and what he was about. hundred, hundred times more comfortable, you know, infinite. I'm not sure. I don't, I've never really been comfortable auctioning off something like that, you know, from like shipping it to, you know, you you don't know the timing and the, the, the atmosphere of the hobby at the time. And just like, you're at the whim of all these different factors and like me just holding it and selling it to someone I trust is kind of more in my control. And I just, I like that part of it, especially like lower dollar cards, you know, I don't mind sending them an auction, kind of just get them off my plate and get it done quicker. Uh, but you know, in this scenario, like I wasn't in any rush or anything. So I just sort of waited for the right time. And when when Mike messaged me about it, uh, it was like, dang, you know, now I have more incentive to kind of move and, and move quicker on this and move a little bit harder because I don't think I'm going to be able to find a buyer who I trust this much. So I need to take this one more seriously and see it through because, you know, I'd say there's probably like, I could probably count on one hand with my fingers of people that I trust at the, at that level of Mike. So, you know, just in terms of like someone that can credibly have that much money reasonably, and then someone that I trust and I've known in the hobby, I've been doing deals with Mike for a long time. Uh, I've, I've seen him come up through the ranks pretty quick and I know how sharp he is and him and I think pretty similarly about the way the market moves and, and about like investment strategies and, you know, some, some more like advanced life type things. And so him and I just see really see eye to eye in a lot of stuff. So it, it made a ton of sense. And so I, you know, it definitely helped make the deal a hundred times smoother. I think uh, the so much of what we see sometimes in the hobby is like this transactional mindset. Like I buy card, I get card, then I try to flip card and just this whole transactional mindset. But like, I don't know the value of the collector community and like going to shows and doing deals with people on Instagram. I think I view it at least in this story kind of, I think helps validate it. It's like each interaction is the opportunity to, build a relationship and that compounds over time. And obviously that's what your story with Mike is. And I think with being able to execute the sale and everyone, you know, sees it as a win-win situation, maybe I want to get into like, okay, how did this like deal actually get done? Like what was the process? But like, maybe before we do that, talk about just like relationship building and like, you've been in the hobby for a while. Like I'm sure there's been other instances like this, maybe not the magnitude hasn't been as great, but just like the ease of getting things done with people you already know and trust. Yeah. I mean, I can understand why people think transactionally the way you described it, like buy card, wait for a card to go up, sell card and make money because they just, you know, they haven't been in the hobby long enough to, to maybe be uh, as, as jaded as I am or as, uh, as, uh, you know, experienced with the relationship side of things, like you pointed out. So like, they just don't know what they don't know. So, you know, I get it. Um, but for me, uh, like being in the hobby for several years now and, and being involved in content and having a, you know, what I would consider to be a pretty decent sized network in the, in the hobby. Like it just, I have more options open to me of how I sell a card and I have more control. So like, this was just to me the best option. And I was thinking back to, um, do you remember when I interviewed you? Yeah, I mean, I'm not assuming anyone's watched all my, episodes but i interviewed his name is tom and he's a pretty well-known you know flipper in the hobby but you know he doesn't think about it in terms of like that quick transactional flip like he's not looking for a card at 80 percent value and then selling it at market value to to make the quick flip he always he always talks to me about 
and I've always loved this. And I've, I've thought about this since he says, like, you should buy a card at market value and not have to negotiate and make a smooth transaction to where you believe in the card at the current market value. And you believe that eventually it's going to go up. You just need patience. And you've also made a smooth transaction with another person to increase your network and move forward. And chances are that person's going to give you a positive review towards another deal. And that'll sort of like spider web out. And as the more you do that kind of thing and you buy things at market and you treat people fairly and you make smooth deals, like five years later, eventually you're going to have all this capital, both in terms of your, your collection and also your network. And you're going to have all this stuff built up to where you, know, you put in five years of all this work and people just want things so fast. They want it in a month. And it's like, if you would have just put in the effort and and had patience over five years, you could have looked up and and made five times what you did on those little micro transaction flips if you had just thought about it. So I've always thought about it that way. And I love the way he sort of organized that thought because I, I think it makes a lot of sense to me. And, and you're kind of touching on that a little bit here. So I thought that was uh, you know a good topic to go on. No, I love it. It's just coming, it's it's really hard to be patient with the way things move and just kind of coming from a place of abundance. And I like that mentality and value. It's not just cards, man. People it, exactly. Everything. Exactly. It, as you were describing it, I was thinking about just like across industries, like the best salespeople that I know, like that's, you're describing, like that's how they, they move. That's their activity. Like it's, no, I'm not trying to get this done right now, but each little step of interaction kind of amounts to something bigger over the course of a period of time. All right. So I want to know, you both said, he said, I want the card. You said, okay, yep. I'll sell the card. Like what ha- Like how did it all go down? Like what happened? Like was, did you have to travel? Like, I'm sure people are interested in just like the nitty gritty details on like how it all happened. Can't go too far into the detail on some of like the payment stuff. Cause we have like a, we have a contract and deal in place where some of that's in there, but I had the card at a, at a vault at a secure location and it was somewhat close to him. So the deal was, you know, he's going to pay me a certain amount. He's going to go get it. He's going to go drive and pick it up, which he did. And that was when he made his announcement when he actually picked it up and, and, you know, whatever he did with it, I'm not sure what he did with it, but he picked it up and got pictures and, you know, had his moment with it, which was fantastic. You know, I I wanted to make sure he had that moment. That was actually in the contract of like, I'm not going to say anything until about the buyer until he gets his own moment. As far as like the money stuff, you know, like the payment, um, I would say uh, money has been transacted in a few different forms, you know, mostly like wires, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a bit of money. So you can't just like hand a duffel bag of cash over. That's not a thing. You have to pay it through bank wires. And then the other side of that, that I'll make sure to point out very, uh, in a very focused manner is that you have to pay taxes. <laughs> like when that sort of wire comes through your account, you know, the IRS is going to know about it one way or the other. So um, I've been paying off that some of that to the IRS. So I didn't get all the money. Unfortunately, we live in a, a country where that's not legal. So I have to pay the taxes. Uh, and so that's, that's an important piece to this as well. I don't know. It's not really, it's really honestly like not that big of a deal. I think maybe people see the amount of money and they're like, Oh my gosh, uh, it's pretty similar to a, a smaller transaction. It's just that there's an extra zero at the end and the wire. Did you ever think uh, when you got back into the hobby that you'd be, that you would have sold a, any sports card for a a million bucks. Did that ever run through your head? No, absolutely not. (laughs) I remember thinking, man, I'm about to spend $10,000 on a card. What an insane thing. Like, this is so crazy. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm spending 10,000 of my own dollars. 
And I do remember talking about with a few people privately that I thought the LeBron RPA would get to a million dollars eventually. But, you know, I kind of meant like the 9.5, you know, sickest patch in the set kind of thing where like, oh my God, can you imagine a card selling for a million dollars? And then to sell, for me to sell one for a million is, um, it's crazy. It's pretty, I mean, it's been like a year, Brett, where like, I've, you know, we've kind of been numb to some of these prices a little bit. So like, it's kind of happened organically where I'm, I'm, I'm not that, you know, I'm not that freaked out about it. But if you kind of think about it in the whole context of where I started, definitely it's like, wow, that's a lot of money. And that's why I think for me, why I enjoy the sale is two collectors who have a brand in the community who provide value through content at shows, this and that. And, you know, they're not to say like auction houses and consigners, like they're great. I, they're essential in the hobby. Um, but to see a deal of this magnitude get done from by just two collectors, hey, I want your card. I'll sell it to you. And it just making it happen. That's what that to me, that's what stands out. It's like the story behind that. Um, and it just, I think if you see that sale happen at that price, then like trickling down, like any individual should feel like with relationships, with trust, you should be able to transact and make deals in, in the hobby for a long time. So that, that was my primary takeaway when I saw the headline. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's, let's maybe kind of round the corner. Congratulations on the sale. Now it has opened, uh, I think, you up to doing something that we love as collectors in the hobby, and that's get mail days. And so you're tied probably when you had that card to not get as many mail days, but now you've not only got mail days that you've showed off, but it looks like you've got a whole new wing at the Cardboard Chronicles PC of, of Chris Paul, which, you know, you kind of teased it out like, and the whole time you're teasing out like new PC guy, I thought, okay, like I know he kind of likes Russ Westbrook and now Russ Westbrook's on the Lakers. And I know like he likes Chris Paul and Chris Paul plays for his team. So you were kind of like, I think evaluating both of those and you landed on Chris Paul. So maybe like talk about how much fun you're having and the decisioning around Chris Paul and then how much fun you're having just like buying his awesome cards now. Yeah. I, um, I was between those two for sure. I was also thinking about uh, Aaron Rodgers. He was kind of in the mix as well. Because if you watch like more than one episode of Crossover, you'll know that I, I sort of gravitate towards the guys who are not quite the goats, but like they definitely are close. And, you know, and they, they've been playing for a long time and they've built up enough individual awards and accolades and such that they're, they're on the cusp but they don't quite get the same level. There's really, that's a pretty small set of guys. What I just described, like there's not too many. And it's like, you know, in football, it's like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning. And then in basketball, you know, it's like Chris Paul's maybe even like a step below what I'm describing. Like he's not quite up there, but if you look at like advanced metrics and stuff, he's pretty, he's like pretty high up. He's like top 10 and like all that stuff. You know, I've always thought he was just like an incredibly efficient and also like fun player. And he's got like kind of this, this Steph Curry thing going where he's, he's very undersized that he's kind of like, you know, he's having to like scratch and claws way to the top because he's, because he is undersized and he's having to deal with that being in the NBA. So I just kind of always, I like everything about his game. I like how tough he is. And, um, you know, when he came to the Suns, it's been a really hard time watching the Suns for about, you know, 10 years. It's been really brutal. And I've always been a huge Suns fan. I just, you know, it's really hard to root for a team who's just like the worst in the league and their owner sucks. And like, they never have any good talent. It's really tough. 
So when he came here and went on this magical run last year in the playoffs, and I went to like seven playoff games, uh, including game two of the finals. So like just some of the memories that he was able to build up for me and take that team to this level. It's like, man, I have a lot of affinity for Chris Paul right now. I should capitalize on this, you know, this moment before he gets really old and starts thinking, and you know, this is, this contract's going to suck. So let me <laughs> jump on this sort of moment in time of enjoying it. So uh, and then like the building of the collection, you know, like I said before, I am at a point where like, I'm kind of numb to like this certain line of cards and everything below it, like just doesn't get me excited anymore. And it's, you know, again, no, no offense to people who collected that range. It's just like where I'm at in my collecting world. That's just like, I'm just numb to that kind of stuff. That's, that's below that tier. And so like, I can, at this point, I can only go after like the really high end exquisite or, you know, really rare gold refractor rookie stuff to get me excited. And Chris Paul is like a fraction of the price of LeBron. And it's like, holy crap, I can literally like blow past my LeBron collection in like a month compared to what I had to save up for six months to get one, like, you know, Bowman Chrome LeBron, you know, it's like, it just is a lot more fun. It's like a more uh, enticing thing to scratch the collector itch. Yeah, it's fun to watch. I think you're in that sweet spot as a collector now where it feels like you're stealing something when you're when you're buying each of these <laughs> yeah, cards. <I> know. That's <laughs> exactly then, what it is. I'm like looking around like I'm about to hit this bin. I if, I know it's like overpriced, but like I don't give a shit. It's a, it's like a I bought okay, this one right here. Like I'll just show you. This was a this is the finest refractor and it's it's jersey numbered and it's been chilling on eBay. It's been just chilling oh, wow. on eBay for so long and it's like definitely overpriced. I think it was a thousand dollars. Like there's no way anyone's buying a gold refractor Chris Paul for a thousand. But I was like, dude, I sold the LeBron of this card for thirty thousand dollars. And I can get this one for one thousand and it's jersey numbered. I'm like, I'm about to hit this fucking bin. Dude, that puts you like to like the experience you have with LeBron and spending every day in that, knowing like in the 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 you look at LeBron and and Chris Paul have a, a ton of crossover in terms of cars and cards. So it's like yeah. that that having that intelligence, I think, is is incredible. And then too, it's there's got to be some piece of it where it's like you know, based on the significance of Chris Paul and what he's gonna go down and definitely be he's top 10 point guard of all time and right. still gonna get stats that like you're not gonna be losing money on any purchases that you're making on his cards. And like this card here. There is zero chance, zero, that I will ever own the LeBron. It's like so expensive, so rare. There's only 10 of them. And it's like this one just sort of was like not easy to get because it's hard to find, but easy to get financially where I'm like, dude, I, I've always wanted this card and I could never get it for LeBron because it's just, you know, it's it's insane. I'm not going to pay $100,000 or whatever that thing costs for LeBron when like the historical significance of it relative to other stuff I should be paying, I should be getting at that insane price range. It's just, I'm just never going to own it. It doesn't make any sense. But to be able to get it in a price range I'm comfortable with of a different player, you know, it's not the same. Uh, it's not the same feeling as getting a LeBron of that, but it's pretty close. And you're able to like also get a little bit more greedy in terms of like, I want a better patch. I want the best auto now. I want a higher grade. You're right. I'm sure you've seen with like the football stuff. I'm only buying like PSA 10 and nine fives. Like what? Why am I going to spend my time when I could just at the, the range that at that, I could just have the best. I might as well just get the best stuff. Like I have another Hopkins PSA 10 RPA coming in soon. And it's like, you know, just pile them on, get another one. I'll get another <laughs> PSA 10. They're only, I think it was like two grand, which, you know, again, like it's relative to other people that might be a lot of money, 
but for the stuff that I buy, usually two grand is like, that's like a, you know, a prism LeBron, you know, like a prism orange or some crap. So like, to me, it makes a lot of sense. 100%, man. This has been fun. Uh, I appreciate you coming on and sharing the story. Maybe like in closing, I would imagine this is a, this has been a significant monumental moment in your hobby collecting career. And you've probably just been reflecting over it over the last few weeks have, you know, learned a ton or, you know, ha- have had these moments where uh, you've, you've thought about it and just dug in and thought about the process. Like what is like maybe one thing um, that you can share with everyone else, just in terms of like your learning experience going through something like this, that might benefit um, anyone listening. Yeah. I went on this rant quite a bit on crossover and I haven't really gone down this path as much as I want because it, it may not appeal to the demographic of, you know, sports collectors and sports cards and stuff. Like it's not quite the same topic, but I just, I've always been a huge proponent of like frugality and like enjoying your life and and kind of paying for time and memories more than things, which sounds silly that given that like I, I spend a vast majority of my money on things like cards, but cards have, are a great vehicle for maintaining value and, and a storage of value as well. So it's, it serves a dual purpose. Like if you're talking about, do I buy a, a $50,000 card of LeBron or Michael Jordan or something, or a car. Like if you ask a financial advisor, they may not know the difference, but for us, like we know the cards are a much better investment long-term. And so I've just, I've just, you know, over this sort of little journey of like building up to this big sale, I've just, I've tried to impart some wisdom on other people that I think it's better. You know, I think it's a better decision for you in your life to focus on being really focused with your money and spending it on things that set you up long-term to be able to do what you want to do versus thinking short-term and buying something that you want to impress, you know, your neighbor or something with, you know, it's like this, uh, rich dad, poor dad, or the wealthy man next door. I don't know if you've I've heard any of those kinds of books. And I just, I've gotten really behind that sort of mindset and thought process during this whole process. And now, now that I'm able to, uh, you know, take one piece of the collection and kind of like check off all those boxes, like I mentioned financially, you know, it feels like it's a little bit of validation for what I've been working so hard at for 10 years, both on the collecting side and the, you know, frugality saving investment side. And the two worlds have kind of collided in a neat little package. And I, I feel like telling that story and that sort of from that angle could bring a lot of value to people, you know, thinking about what's important to me in my future. And, you know, how do I spend every dollar that I've ever earned in a, in an intelligent, thoughtful, patient way? You know, like I just, I see a lot of people spend money on stuff where it's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. You're just, you know, you're, you're giving up quite a bit on the back end of what this could be. And you're, you're risking it for a very short term gain. And it doesn't even buy you any time. It's just a thing in your life that you have to now like work around or whatever. So I know I got a lot of this from Gary Vee, which is interesting as well. Cause he's kind of, he came, came into the card space and my two worlds collide of like cards and you know, what I, how I think about finances and saving and frugality and stuff. So it's, it's all kind of come full circle and you know, I'm rambling at this point, but you said this is my last question. So I had to get it all out. No, I, I love it. And I think maybe the punctuation point is we will not see Josh post a picture of a new Maserati in his garage. That's, that's the most common DM I got, honestly, <laughs> of the, of the other side, you said like, you know, how much was positive. The most common DM I got was like, buy. you need to not like you should, you need to buy yourself a car or you need to get a bigger house or you need to do this and you do that. And I'm thinking like, I'm doing the opposite. I take this new money came in and I'm like guarding it. Like it's, you know, like it's this most precious thing that I don't want to spend any of it. And I haven't, I've been spending some of it on Chris Paul to offset, you know, the tax burden. But other than that, like 
I've even like doubled down. I'm going to like pay off the house. I'm paying off other things. And man, I'm treating it like every dollar of this money that it came in needs to be spent even more wisely. I love it. There's so much to, to be learned there. Josh, appreciate you coming on. Everyone, definitely, if you're not already, go follow him on Instagram at Cardboard Chronicles and go check out Card Ladder. Josh, you'll be back on sometime soon. I'm sure there's another topic we'll chop up, but thanks for jumping on again. Thanks, man. Thanks for letting me ramble. Selling a card for $1 million is no joke. I am so appreciative Josh came on the pod to talk about his sale. I learned something. Hopefully you did too. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back with more Stacking Slabs as always next week. Peace out.